hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of God. All right, would you please join me as we pray? Our Father and our God, we thank you for uh, the letter that John wrote to uh, Christians uh, in Asia Minor uh, many, many, many years ago, and yet the words that he wrote to them are just as relevant for us today. Uh, and so we ask, Lord, that you please help us as we spend time thinking through these closing verses of the book of John uh, that you would um, give us the same kind of assurance that John was trying to give to uh, his original readers, uh, that we may know uh, that we have eternal life, that you hear our prayers, forgive our sins, and have given us Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, so we get to the last section of John. We started John, first John, rather. Uh, we started first John at the beginning of the summer. And what we're doing now is you're, you're really going to see John's heart of a pastor shine really, really brightly. It's, it's happened a few times in the letter where, where his, his love for the people he's writing to just, it shines, it just comes out. And, and I really think that that's what's happening here at the end. So, so remember that John, the first John is being, first, second, and third John are all being written because... These churches in modern-day Turkey, in Asia Minor, are having this, this group of false teachers have come in, and they're, and they're teaching things about sin and about Jesus that run counter to, they're the opposite of what John and what, um, what the other apostles had previously taught. Uh, and so what's happening is that John is seeing the divisions that are happening in the church. He's concerned about it, so he's writing to them. So you can imagine, right, this is not hard for us to imagine, uh, where you've got people in a church who begin to disagree about things, and so then folks that were friends cease to be friends. People that thought they were for one another cease to be for one another. Uh, we've experienced that, right? And so in our society, and so there's, there's a real level of similarity between what John is, the situation John is writing into and our situation today. Uh, so as he ends the letter, he, you're going to notice the word no appears seven times in these verses. Uh, so there's something that John is really concerned for you and I to grasp, but for us to know uh, that we have eternal life. Uh, and now the way that that gets worked out is that there are three things that he wants us to know. He wants us to have assurance. Now assurance is 
the confidence that we have about God's character and God's promises. Assurance is the confidence that we have about uh, God responding to our prayer, about forgiveness of sin, about what, that what God teaches us in his word is actually true. Assurance is the confidence that we have in these kinds of things. Uh, and so you can imagine that there's a lack of assurance, right, that these folks are experiencing. Uh, I, I've been reading a, a book called Persian Fire. It's this I'm geeking out. This is my little history nerd thing um, called Persian Fire. And uh, it's a book about the rise of the Persian Empire and the battle against the Greeks. Uh, and, and I was reading the early, one of the early chapters. And so you've got a guy by the name of Cyrus, who is the, the, the emperor that really brings Persia into power. So this is roughly corresponding to what's happening in like the time period of Second Kings. Uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, all right? That's that time period. Um, and so you've got this king by the name of Cyrus. He consolidates power. He, he, he extends the Persian empire. He dies. And then his oldest son becomes emperor, but he dies in a battle. Uh, and so the second oldest son becomes emperor. But the problem is that by this point, the, there's enough other people scheming that this guy has no assurance that he's going to be able to maintain the throne. So he's constantly looking over his back. And sure enough, if you know anything of Persian history, you know two names. There's Cyrus, that was the first emperor, and then there's Darius. And Darius is the guy that comes in, assassinates Bardia, the second son of the first emperor, and then goes on to, to be the Darius that we read about in the book of... Um, what book is that where it happened? Daniel. It's in the book of Daniel. Um, so uh, so, so you're, when you don't have assurance, you're constantly looking over your back. When you don't have assurance, you're constantly asking questions. John is writing because he knows that when we lack assurance about who God is, when we lack assurance about God listening to our prayers, when we lack assurance about the forgiveness of our sins, we're constantly going to be questioning and he doesn't want that for you. John doesn't want that for you. I don't want that for you. But more, most importantly of all, God does not want that for you. So the first thing that we see is that John wants us to have assurance that God hears us. Uh, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now, these are really strong words, aren't they, right? I mean, like, whatever you ask, it's yours. Like, that's, like, how many of us actually think that that's true? That's what I thought. I don't think that's true, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, if I'm honest with my own heart, I have a hard time believing that kind of confidence, uh, having that kind of confidence in my prayers. I'm just being honest with you. Just this week, I had a conversation with one individual in our church who, uh, who's struggling with this very question, uh, struggling with this idea of like, okay, so if God answers our prayers, then I see really horrible things happening in the world. How do I make sense of God answering prayer and yet really horrible things happening in the world? It's, it's, a, it's a real struggle, right? And that's big, even small. I mean, I, I literally... Uh, Wednesday morning, Christy and I went to go look at a prospective facility, uh, and, and, and I knew going in it probably wasn't going to work out, but you know, you walk in and you're like, oh, this is not going to work out. 
Um, and we, we walked out. And I was like, honestly, I was like, Lord, I know that we've only been doing this for a few weeks, but come on. Um, I, I, was, I was like, Lord, is, is God really going to answer our prayer for a building? Now, intellectually, I know the answer is yes. I know that's what I'm supposed to say. But existentially, right, I felt that like, ugh. And we've all been there, right? John wants you to have assurance. He's like, hey, listen, have confidence in prayer. The eternal life that's yours means that God listens to you. He's going to listen. He's going to hear you. That's why, that's why we have Kylie coming up. That's why we're like taking seriously like, hey, we want a part of, a part of the season of discipleship for our church is we want to be able to look back and say, look at what God did during the season of our church. Because we know, we have confidence, even in those moments where we don't, uh, we know that that's what he's pushing us towards. So, um, and this is, and, and what's interesting, right, is that that verb of confidence, the word confidence there that appears in verses 14 and 15, uh, there's another passage that if, if you've read about prayer in the Bible at all, you might be familiar with. It's Hebrews 4.16, where the author of Hebrews writes, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. It's the exact same word. Approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So, so what do we do with that? Um, so this is not a God is a vending machine, right? This is not a blank check. You got that? All right, so there. Here's the reality. The reality is that sometimes when we pray, uh, we don't actually know. We don't have the full picture. How can we, right? We are finite human beings. But the God that we are praying to is all-knowing, all-powerful, and very importantly as well, all-loving. Uh, and so that God who knows more than you and I do uh, will do what he is best. Sometimes if I'm convinced that I know what's best for my life. I'm convinced that this is the path that God should take me on. Uh, and, uh, but I've, but looking back over my life, there have been times where if God had given me what I wanted to, I, it would not have necessarily worked out as well as it would have otherwise, right? Because I didn't have all the information on the front end. Sometimes we have to simply acknowledge that we live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that is sinful and that there are things that happen and we're just speechless, we just don't have answers. We just don't know. We don't understand. Uh, again, because we don't have the full picture. Uh, but what we know, what doesn't change, is that the God who hears our prayers, even if he doesn't always answer it according to the way that we want, we have confidence that he hears us, and we can have confidence that he uses our prayers as one of the means by which he does the things that are best for you and for I and for all of creation and that he is able to do that. He is able to govern everything in such a way that he can do what's best for you and I and what's best for billions of other people at the same time. And somehow, and that always is not clear. It's just not. Tim Keller in his book on prayer says, God will either give us what we ask for or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew. All right, so that's the first thing. He, uh, John wants us to have assurance. He wants us to know that God hears our prayers. Then he specifically takes that assurance. He's like, okay, so these false teachers, they've been going after you in two ways. 
he's going to tackle these one last time for us. Remember what John does. He keeps coming back again and again in circles. And so in true fashion, he's not going to end the letter without coming back to the two principal things that he's been talking about in this letter. So specifically he says, hey, when it comes, you can have confidence when it comes to seeing people in your church, people that you know in sin, you can have confidence that God will hear your prayer. This is what he writes. He says, if you see a brother or sister... Uh, commit a sin that does not lead to death, you shall pray, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. I know what you're all thinking. I write it. It's like I already know it's like, what's the sin that leads to death, Elmar? And probably some of you are thinking. Have I committed the sin that leads to death? So first off, right, John is not ending the letter to try to bring doubt into your life. All right, we've already established that. He is ending the letter very pastorally. He says seven times, I'm writing this so that you may know, not so that you may doubt. Okay, so these words are not written in order to raise doubt in your heart. They're actually written in order to bring assurance and confidence to you. So what is he talking about? Uh, so first of all, let's, let's acknowledge that John, this is not the first time John has talked about sin in the letter. So there are four passages in total where John deals with sin, the topic of sin in the letter. In 1 John 1, uh, John tells us, hey, if you think that you've not sinned, you're delusional. You're deceiving yourself. You're making God a liar. All right, so first thing he tells us about sin is that you, we have to acknowledge that sin is a reality in our life. The second thing he tells us about sin, when he comes back around to the topic a little bit later in the letter, in chapter 2, uh, he tells us that we have been forgiven for sin, but that forgiveness does not mean that we get to do whatever we want. All right? Uh, so then the third time he comes back around to the topic of sin in the letters in chapter 3, and there he, he stresses for us the incompatibility of sin with the Christian life. He's like, look, these two things do not go together. So then we get to the last passage, which is our passage today, and what he's saying here is, hey, in spite of all this, I know you're going to sin. And so when you see your brothers and sisters continuing to sin. And that phrase is really important, right? So what he's saying here is not um, that, you know, we all do this, right? You're, 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 you're going about your day and then you sin, right? You're, you're, you do things you know you're not supposed to do. Um, we all do that. That's the, that is part of being a human being, right? Is that we continually have moments where we do things that we shouldn't have done or we don't do things that we know we ought to have done. Um, that's not what John is talking about here. He's saying, hey, when you see people continuing in sin, now what's continuing in sin? Continuing in sin is a habit of life that is running counter to what God is doing, right? A habit of life, it's, you, so this would be addictions, for example, right? Uh, are one possible way in which we are continuing in sin. Uh, addictions to things like pornography or, or drugs. Uh, another way that we continue in sin is like habitual lying, habitual gossip, right? manner of life that runs contrary to the gospel. John spends a lot of time in this letter talking about obeying God's commands and loving one another. And so what he's saying is that when you see brothers and sisters in the church and the evidence of their life is that they're continuing in sin, you need to be praying for those people. 
Because that's a way in which we live out the call of loving one another, which he's talked about a lot in this letter. All right? So what he's saying, this is like, take seriously your prayer. God's going to listen to your prayer. You're going to sin. And when you see someone caught in sin, you need to intercede. You need to pray. You need to go before God in order to, make, in order to, uh, to, to pray for them. Now, um, what about the sin then that leads to death? Um, remember that John is writing to a group of people who are uh, spreading false teaching about sin. Uh, and so you can imagine, right, there's a lot, of, there's a lot that's been written about these verses. Um, so the first thing that we see is John is saying, even, even as he's talking about the prayer, he's saying, don't feel, I think this is what he's saying, he says, don't feel, he's, he's like putting this um, uh, command, right? Pray for one another when you see people continuing in sin. But it seems as if he's kind of pulling back from that when it comes to people who are uh, committing sin that leads to death. Now, what is that? Um, we don't know. At the end of the day, we just simply don't know what John is talking about here. However, uh, what uh, the majority of New Testament interpreters believe is that this is a reference to the false teachers. Uh, I don't know this, but I think that uh, the original audience would have heard sin that leads to death, and that would have been a figure of speech, an idiom of some kind that would have made them go, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, and, so, and so here's the thing, right? If you are following Jesus, uh, if you're seeking to live your life in conformity with Jesus, if you have repented of your sin and are trusting in Jesus, you have not committed the sin that leads to death. All right? So um, now I, I've had, just to be honest with you, I've had seasons in my life where um, where I have struggled with what we'll call like spiritual depression, right? Seasons in my life, especially when I was in college age, where, where I, like, I really wrestled and felt the weight of, have I committed these types of sins? So, so I existentially know the weight of that. Um, and, and so here's what I will tell you. What helped me is that I didn't go through that alone. What helped me was that I had believers that were older than me, older brothers and sisters in the faith that walked with me and guided me through that. So if you're like really feeling the weight of that, then uh, don't feel the weight of that alone, right? That, that's, that actually would run counter to what John is saying in this letter, right? John is saying like, hey, if you're feeling the weight of sin, if you see somebody in sin, be there for one another, pray for one another, love one another, uh, so if that's you, you don't need to go through that alone. Uh, come talk to me. Uh, come talk to one of our elders, one of our elder advisors. We would love to be able to walk with you through that. All right. Uh, another way that I think another really interesting application of this, right, is that John really is stressing here at the end of the letter the reality of being there for one another. Uh, that's not one of the one another's you're going to see in the Bible, but, but I think that's a great summation of a lot of these uh, statements, commands that you see in the Bible about one another. We had a whole series we did last year, I think it was, 
uh, looking at gospel-centered relationships, and we looked at a number of these one another passages. Uh, so again, as you think about like the season of life that we're in as a church, uh, you've heard me say this again. I'm going to keep saying this because I, I really want, I'm praying that one of, the, one of the fruits for Harbor City Church of this season is that we will grow closer together as a community, as everyone is looking out for one another, checking in on one another, and caring for one another. And that really is just kind of the outflow of what John's talking about here, uh, the kind of heart for uh, each of us, uh, for each, for one another. All right, so. John is writing because he wants you to have assurance, or he wants you to have confidence. He wants you to know. He wants you to know that you have eternal life. How does that manifest itself? Like, what's the practical outworking of that? Well, knowing that you have eternal life means that you know that the God of heaven and earth listens to your prayers. He's going to hear you. You have confidence that he's going to hear you when you pray. You have confidence that uh, in spite of what the false teachers were saying, you have confidence that Sin is a real problem, but that Jesus is greater than your sin, right? That, that Jesus has conquered sin and that you can have forgiveness and that you can be there for one another. Can you hear me now? Fantastic. All right, turn this off so we don't have any feedback. All right, I think it's off. Uh, and so... Where was I? Okay, I'm just going to start here. So John is writing so that you and I can have confidence, right? He wants us to have confidence about the eternal life that we have. He wants us to have confidence that God listens to our prayers. Uh, and then specifically as he's addressing the issues that the false teachers were bringing, uh, he's like, hey, the confidence that you have is a confidence that when you pray for one another, God's going to hear you, specifically when you, these folks that are maybe struggling because they're wrestling through these false ideas about what sin is, uh, you pray for them, God's going to hear you. And then the last thing is, remember we said that, that the false teachers were, were questioning who Jesus was. They're bringing these false ideas about who Jesus is. And so John ends the letter where he starts, right? He starts the letter by saying, that which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have heard, which we've written to you, that we proclaim also to you. And then here he is at the end of the letter. like, hey, let me remind you about Jesus. You need to know, you need to have assurance, you need to have confidence about who Jesus is and what it is that Jesus has done. So there's this evil one, right? You see John talk about him in these closing verses. Again, not the first time that John talks about the devil or those aligned with the devil in the letter. In chapter 2, he talked about the Antichrists, those who were seeking to deceive God's people. In chapter 4, he said uh, that the devil is real, but he said what? He said, greater is the one that is in you than the one that is in the world, right? uh, Some of you are saying it, right? Because that's an important verse for us as Christians, isn't it? And so here he is at the end of the letter, and it's like he's almost saying the exact same thing. And he's saying, listen, God, Jesus, has conquered the devil, Right? You, Jesus has set you free, and he is going to keep you safe. But then he also says that because of Jesus, you can know the one who brings eternal life. This is what he says in verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, talking about God the Father. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. 
right? So knowing Jesus is knowing that you've been set free. Knowing Jesus is knowing God. Jesus himself said that in the Gospel of John. Knowing Jesus means knowing that you have been given eternal life. And so John is ending the letter by like, folks, do not lose sight of these things. And then he says the strangest thing. Keep yourselves from idols, right? And you're looking at that, and if you've been paying attention to the letter, you're just like, come again, right? Because you've not mentioned idols once this entire letter, and you've heard me say again and again and again, hey, John repeats himself. He's going to introduce an idea, and then he's going to come back to it. And then you get to the end of the letter, and he says, keep yourselves from idol. Mic drop, exit stage left. You're like, wait a minute. You set, like, you set me up to think about, like, why are you introducing a new topic? I don't think he is. Uh, so what is an idol? An idol is a false representation of God, right? And so what the false teachers have been doing is they've been creating, we don't know all the nuances of this, right? But they've been creating false images of Jesus. They've been crafting Jesus in the image that they want. And John is saying, keep yourselves away from that, right? Hold on to the testimony that I gave you. Hold on to the testimony that the other apostles gave you. Hold on to the testimony that's handed down to you in scripture. Hold on to that and have assurance that that Jesus is set you free from sin. That Jesus is protecting you from the devil. That Jesus is giving you union with, uh, or uh, uh, a relationship with the Father. That Jesus is the Jesus that is giving you eternal life. And by believing in him, right, that's not just theoretical, it's super practical. It's everything that the letter's been talking about right? That affects the way that we pray. That affects the way that we treat one another. John has told us again and again, love one another. That affects our ethics. That affects the way that we live. John has told us again and again, follow the commands, obey the commands of Jesus. That affects the way that we think about our sin, because as we just saw a minute ago, John has gone to talk to us about the reality of sin It's incompatibility with following Jesus and yet the grace that is there for us when we find ourselves sinning. John has written to us very practically about being careful that we are not deceived by those either in the church that are going to seek to deceive us and cause us to follow something or someone other than Jesus. And then practically just at the very end of the letter, he's like, hey, and by the way, right? Really practically, you can have confidence that when you die, you're going to be with him. You can have confidence that when Jesus comes back and he brings in the new heavens and the new earth, you're going to be with him, right? And that's how he ends the letter. He ends the letter after, after being pastoral, after being combative, after, after giving them theology, after giving them practice. He ends the letter really pastorally, and he says, hey, at the end of all of this, I just want you to know I don't want you to doubt. I don't want you to be looking over your shoulders and questioning. I want you to have confidence. I want you to have assurance. See, that's the Christian faith. The Christian faith is one that gives you, when you you explore it, when you press into it, it gives you confidence. That is not to say, don't hear me say that there's no room for doubt. Don't hear me say that there's no room to ask questions. We, you have questions, let's sit down and talk. You have doubts? Let's sit down and navigate those together, right? I have moments, I'm not going to lie, I have moments where I'm just like, 
I've committed my life to this. Am I sure I really believe this? Right? We all do that. But in the midst of those questions and doubts that we all might face from time to time, there is confidence that we are being offered. Confidence of who Jesus is and what it is that he has done. Uh, and so John ends his letter, and we end our time together in the book of 1 John uh, with the confidence of who Jesus is, what he has done for us. Amen? All right, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this letter that you have uh, allowed John to write uh, many years ago under, uh, in some ways, very different circumstances. And yet, uh, we, we uh, acknowledge and marvel at the fact that the truths written in that letter uh, still resonate for us here today, thousands of years later, in a completely different part of the world, uh, with, with, in some respects, radically different problems that we're facing. Uh, and yet, Lord, uh, we see that these truths remain constant and that we can have confidence in you. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray for all of us here today. I pray for us individually, but I also pray for us as a church that uh, having spent the last several months in 1 John, that you would allow these central truths of the letter, the, the call to love one another, the call to follow you, the call to believe in the gospel, uh, that you would allow these things to resonate deeply in our hearts and that we would be formed into the image of Jesus uh, by not just by believing them, but by living them out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.